It's been such a blessing, like the last two services, just to hear the voices, you know, just slowing down and just saying to God, without any instruments, I'm just desperate for you, I'm lost without you, and there's just something about being quieter, you know? Like, I, I know some of us, just we just live such busy lives, and we're running from one thing to the next, and it's just so cool, these last two services, just to sit and watch people who are normally in a hurry, normally just rushing from place to place and all these things in their mind to just sit down, stand before their Creator and say, God, I, you're everything. I'm lost without you. I'm desperate for you. I've been pursuing all these things all week, but right now I can just slow down and just focus on you and tell you that you're everything to me. Um, sometimes we just, we just rush through everything. There's even a lot of craziness at, at church and, and the busyness and I just want to work more towards just let's just slow down and think about what we're doing. Otherwise, we're just going to fly through life and it's just going to pass us by and even in service. Um, before I, I start teaching, I, I want to introduce someone to you. This is, a, this is Roger and uh, Roger is heading off to Hungary in, in, a, in a couple months and, uh, and he's been a student over at, at, at our Bible college, at Eternity Bible College. And I just want, we just asked him to come and share his experience over this last year and how God's been preparing him for this. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to share with you. It's been a, an exciting experience for me. Just to, I want to be able to share with you a little bit how eternity worked into God's plans for me to go to Hungary. Um, about a year ago, I started pursuing full-term missions and was really asking God, how am I going to be prepared to go? I, uh, the organization that I was planning to join required 30 credits of, of Bible, and uh, I'm working full-time, I have a mortgage, and I'm thinking, how am I going to... How am I going to get that? You know, and my heart was to be in Hungary, and I didn't want to spend, you know, the next four or five years taking one class a semester and getting it done a little at a time. And um, I attend the church out in the valley, and my mom is a member here at Cornerstone, and she let me know, hey, Eternity Bible College is, is opening up over at Cornerstone. And you know, it was like God knew exactly what I needed at exactly the right time. Um, I work here in Simi Valley, so I was able to. Um, keep my job for the last year, take classes in the evening, and actually fulfill all of the requirements in just one year here at the school. And I really knew nothing about Cornerstone um, or the college before I came here. And, and I knew it was going to be the first year, and my expectations were actually kind of on the low side. And uh, I didn't really know what I was going to be getting, but for me it was like, okay, God, you provided this for me. This is where I'm going to go. And I have to tell you, it just blew me away with the quality of the teaching that I got, the practicality of the teaching, the heart of the instructors as they teach. Um, God taught me how to study His Word the right way, gave me a deeper desire to study His Word in a way that I never had before. And I'm so excited um, to go to Hungary now and to be able to pass on to them what's been invested in me through Eternity Bible College. And it's just been an incredible experience, and God has really blessed me through the school. Thanks. Thanks, Yeah, I really wanted him just to share that so you guys wouldn't, wouldn't just get to know Roger. He'll be out in the, in the lobby over by the Eternity College uh, booth. But also, also because, I mean, you guys are the ones that support the college. And, and a lot of you guys hear about the college, but you don't really know what, what's coming out of it. And Roger's really the first guy that, that's actually being sent out, you know, into the world, um, you know, because he, he just, he did the one year program and, and I just think every year we're going to have more and more students just going out to the ends of the earth. You know, next year we could be having as, as many as 100 students graduating. Um, 
with, with, with their bachelors. It's just a really, to me, I get so excited about this because I go, this is the mission of the church. According to the Bible, the Bible teaches that the, the mission of the church is not just to get thousands of people here. The mission of the church, it says, is to equip the saints for service. That, that's what God says he wants the church to do, is to equip people so they can go out and teach other people. And that's exactly what the college is doing. So we just want to thank you guys for your support of the college. And uh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the future. Because one thing I do want to bring up is what we're doing right now is we're, we're pursuing accreditation um, so that, that Eternity Bible College will be a fully accredited Bible college. And so we're in the process of that, and that's real exciting. So any of their, their units will transfer if they want to move on to get their master's or doctorate somewhere else. And, and the other thing is, um, in, in pursuing accreditation, we found that the, the accreditation agencies, right now, they don't really like the fact that the church is subsidizing the whole college, because then the college is completely dependent on one entity. And so what they want is they want to see a donor base that's outside of the church. And so what we're endeavoring to do right now is to make an Eternity College self-supporting so it takes care of itself. And uh, rather than the church budget caring for it, um, we need individual donors to care for the college. And so it's kind of the same thing. It's kind of like the money's coming all from us as a church, but just in a different uh, venue, you know, by through direct donors. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to hold a banquet um, to just kind of explain the vision of Eternity College on June 10th, and it's going to be up there at Grand Vistas, and we're trying to get as many of the people from our church to go, and also people you know who may be interested in supporting uh, what we're doing at Eternity College, because as you see, it's not just Cornerstone that's benefiting. I mean, Rocky Peak, Shepherd of the Hills, all these other churches, you know, I don't even know the name of your church, <laughs> but who cares? Um, it, it just... Uh, <laughs> It, all that matters is Cornerstone. No, no it, it's, it's just awesome to see you know, all the local churches being able to send people here and have them educated, trained up, and sent out. And so if you'd be interested in going to this, I, I, I want to get as many of you as, you as I can to just come and hear the vision of this thing. We're selling tickets over at the, the college booth there. Um, but man, just, I just praise God for what he's doing. Even you know, Roger made the comment that uh, if, if Eternity College just happened that one year and then died and it was just for him, it would have been worth it because this is what has trained him up for the rest of his life to go out and minister to other people. And, and so, man, you got to know that, that what you have invested in this college is totally already paying off. It's at such a short time after a year. Well, I'm going to be real honest with you guys this morning. Um, last night for me here at church just really stunk. Um, it just, I don't know if I've ever gone home after preaching a message and feeling like I needed to ask God for forgiveness. Um, I just felt like, gosh, I did not do it justice. And it bugged me because, because what we're talking about today and this weekend is so, so sacred. It's, it's about communion and the Lord's Supper. And the more I looked at it this week, the more I studied, the more I feel like as a church, um, we're not maybe holding it as, as high as we ought to. And, and that a lot of that's my fault. And, and I just wanted so badly last night to not make communion something we just tack on to the end of the service, 
but at least this week and really concentrate and everything else. And, and just the busyness of the night, the air conditioning wasn't working, we're sweating to death. You know, it just, I, I just went home going, Lord, I, I, this is something so sacred to you, so huge to you. In fact, it says the early church, when you read the book of Acts, there were four things that they devoted their lives to. And one of them was the Lord's Supper. It was that huge. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and to the Lord's Supper. And they would go from house to... I mean, it was huge, huge, huge. And, and, and honestly, I, I, I'm pretty convicted myself because I, I've read this passage many times. I mean, and we've taken a communion. Man, how many thousands of times, some of us. And, and yet the, the depth, the, the sacredness of this event, I, I just really want us to understand it. Um, we're approaching the end of, of Christ's life in our study here, and we come to the, his last night on earth um, where he's, uh, he's celebrating and he's, he's having this Passover with his disciples and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And I, I really feel like I've missed the boat on this for, for many years, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke. And I, I, wanna, I want to, um, Luke chapter 22, I want to explain this, but I, I don't want to over-explain it because I think that's where we get in trouble. I've heard this passage preached I don't know how many times and every time I hear it I, I get I get a piece of it and I pick up some some useful little tidbits or information but I feel like I've missed I've missed just the beauty of it you know when you nitpick and overanalyze things you miss the big picture and this is such a beautiful emotional time in the life of our Lord and and, and don't make the mistake as I as I get ready to read this don't make the mistake that I made for so many years of my life where I would look at events very mechanically. And I would look at what Jesus went through, like it was just this system that he went through, okay, go through the process, go to the cross, this or that, and I missed all of the emotion behind it. I missed all the feelings behind it. And I feel like Scripture works overtime to help us to understand the feelings of our Lord and what he actually felt as he went through these things. Because here's what we do. As Christians... We spend a lot of time defending the deity of Jesus Christ, that He really is God, right? And we defend that, we fight for that, we go, no, the Scriptures teach all the fullness of the deity dwells in Christ in bodily form. You know, that He was the Son of God. You know, in Philippians 2, it's the whole idea of equality with God, it says. It wasn't something He held on to, but He emptied Himself. He, he let go of that, and He emptied Himself and, and became nothing and took the form of a man. And we'll focus on that equality with God but we won't spend a lot of time talking about his humanity. Okay, this is where I missed it. I'm defending his deity, but I forget to just defend the fact that he really did empty himself, come down here, become nothing, and literally take the form of a man. And that means that everything Jesus went through, everything he felt would be just the same as if I went through it. See, I, I don't think I always thought of it that way. I, I would look at Jesus and go, well, but he's God, so it probably didn't hurt him as much as it would hurt me to be nailed to a cross. It probably wouldn't hurt him as much, you know, to be betrayed. I mean, he knew Jesus was going to betray him. Big, You know, it's almost like I looked at him as this superhuman, in a sense, to where he didn't feel the things that you and I would feel. And that's the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. I mean, Hebrews tells us that that's why we can come to God with confidence 
is because we don't have a high priest that's up there without any understanding of what we, we go through here on earth. It says, but we have one that's been tested in every way as we have. And he understands. And he came through it without sin. And it says, so therefore we can come and we can find mercy. We can find grace because when I pray to Jesus, he really understands what I went through because he went through it himself. So as, as we read this, man, understand. He, he really felt all of this. Um, Luke chapter 22, and, and I don't want to spend too much time explaining it because I, I want us to just spend some good time really celebrating communion. Um, but but let's, let's read through the whole passage. Okay, try to stick with me and, and get all 23 verses and, and, and just keep your mind flowing with the thoughts here. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And I'll explain that a little bit. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat? the Passover with my disciples. He'll show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. So they left and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it's been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Okay, so here it is. Jesus, that night, was going to be arrested and then the next day he's crucified. And so now he's having this last supper with his disciples and it's the day of the Passover, and they're celebrating the Passover. This is very, very important. Okay, I do need to explain this. For those who don't know what the Passover meal was all about, it goes all the way back to Egypt and Pharaoh when, when they were enslaved by the Egyptians. The Jewish people, remember last week we talked about this, the Jewish people, that God says, I'm going to bless the world through them. They're going to be a blessing to all of the nations. Now this group of people is being enslaved by the Egyptians, and, and, and they're growing, they're multiplying, so Pharaoh's just being tougher and tougher on these people. And so God says, I'm going to get my people out of there. And he sends a deliverer named Moses. 
And Moses is going to, you know, God's going to use Moses to deliver these plagues on these people of, of, of Egypt. And so all these plagues start coming so that, so that Moses can come before Pharaoh and say, are you going to let us go now? And Pharaoh keeps saying, no, no, we're not going to let you go. So God says, okay, I'm going to send one last plague. This, this one's going to do it. I'm going to have the firstborn in every single home die in one night. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I mean, I, we, we know the story, but imagine what that would feel like. What if tonight every firstborn child of every home in Simi Valley died tonight? Can you imagine the chaos, the pain, and they talk about this, the weeping and the wailing and the screaming. And so when that happens, Pharaoh finally goes, you know what, just get out of here. You, you, you Jews, get out of here before we all die. Obviously, your God is with you. I'm terrified of this God now. Just get out of here before we all die. Because Pharaoh probably experienced the same thing in watching his firstborn die. Now, with that story, the Bible also says that he tells the Jews, this is what I want you to do tonight. I want you to slay a lamb. And, and, and I want you to take the blood and put that blood over your doorpost, over the door frames. Because what's going to happen tonight is my angel is going to come across this land of Egypt and he's going to slay the firstborn in every home unless he sees the blood over the doorpost. If he sees that on your house, he'll pass over your house. Okay, that's where you get the term Passover. Okay, and so every year, then, then what happens is, you know, everything happens and, and, uh, and they leave and, and, and God says, I don't want you to ever forget what happened in, in Egypt. And I want you to celebrate every single year. This is the most important feast to the Jews. I want you to celebrate the Passover, the time when I passed over. And, and that's why they would slaughter a lamb each year at Passover and have this meal. And the other thing that took place is when Pharaoh says, get out of here, the, 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 the Jews had to rush out. And the idea is that they rush so quickly, even if they're in the middle of making bread, it says, don't even put the yeast in the bread. Just grab your dough and get out of here. Grab everything you have and then just run and go. And that's when he splits the Red Sea and everything else. And so he says, what I want you to do every year is have this Passover feast or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where for a whole week you don't eat anything that has yeast in it. So at least during this one week of the year, you'll always remember what I did in Egypt. And it'll be this lasting thing. You'll teach it to your kids as you have this Passover meal every year and you eat bread without yeast every year. You'll remind them, well, because this is what God did years and years ago. So that's what they're celebrating here. And um, the interesting thing, though, is, uh, is look at verse 16 of Luke 22. As Jesus is about to, to, to you know, lead in this Passover meal, verse 16, Jesus says, well, look at verse 15. He said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Very important phrase. He says, I've eagerly desired this because we're going to eat this Passover. He goes, but, because this is the last time I'm going to eat it, until it finds fulfillment or it comes to completion. Okay, and I'm going to explain this, but let me back up. I, I forgot something. Okay, the, the, the lamb, the, the, the whole idea of, of sacrificing this lamb. Let me explain what they did back then. For the Passover meal, what you had to do was you had to find 
one of your sheep that was a year old that had no blemishes, like the perfect, cute, you know, just cuddly little lamb, just nice and white and keep it by your side, just your most beautiful prized animal, a year old male. And then on the day of Passover, all the Jews, they would make a pilgrimage with these sheep to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, they would take the sheep to the temple. This is thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of sheep coming to Jerusalem in one day. And here's what you do. You would take this sheep and you would come into the temple and you would lay your hands on this little sheep that you've been caring for, cuddling, this beautiful little thing. You would lay your hands on it. In fact, some scholars say not only did you lay your hands, but you would put your weight on it, like you would lean on it. And the idea was was that you were placing the weight of all of your sins from, from, from your whole life, really, your whole, all, all year long, all of your sins you're placing on this lamb, on this sheep. And, and as you're leaning on it and you're putting your sins on it, you're, you're putting your sins on the sheep, the high priest would come by and he would slit the throat of the lamb. I mean, it was disgusting. And so it's, it's this idea of you're just collapsing on this, this lifeless thing, you know, this beautiful little sheep that you've been caring for all this time. And now he, his blood is being shed. He's paying the price for all of your crimes. And it was a very, can you imagine thousands and thousands of sheep in one day in this temple, the, the smell, the odor, just everything. It talks about how the blood would just be rushing out of the temple all the way down the mount into this brook, the brook Kidron, to where it would run red for weeks after that one Passover day. See, see a lot of times we think of Passover, go, oh, it's a cute little beautiful meal. No, it's not. It was one of the most disgusting, horrifying scenes. Can you imagine walking into this place where thousands of sheep have been slaughtered and the weeping and the crying and the mess and just, just, just the stench. It, it, was, it was to shock their senses, to show them, look, this is how awful your sin is in the sight of God. That all of this has to take place. You know why? Because of your sin. And, and, and Leviticus 17.11 says that it's the blood, that the life is in the blood, and that's why this blood was the only thing that could atone for sin. See, now with all of that, then Jesus says here at this Passover meal with, with, with the, the lamb and, and, and the bread, He says, this is the last time we're going to take of this Passover. He goes, until it finds its fulfillment. Very important phrase. Because that means the Passover and this meal and the celebration, the Exodus, God says that's not an end in and of itself. It's leading up to something. It's a picture of something to come. And Jesus is saying, you know what, that thing has come now. In fact, this is the last time you're going to take of it until it finds its fulfillment, till it comes to the end. You see, that all of that Passover was pointing to one thing, and that's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, it, it, it taught us in Isaiah 53 that this one was going to come and he was going to bear our iniquities. And he was going to take on the sins of the world. And by his stripes, we were going to be healed. And it says that he was going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. You see, Hebrews tells us that all that time, it's not really that those sheep were, were taking people's sins from them. It was all pointing to that day when someone was going to come and those who in faith did that in the past were going to reap the benefit of this lamb that was going to be slaughtered to atone for our sin. You've got to understand this. That, that Leviticus taught 
It's blood that atones for sin. Nothing else. Nothing else. It had to be that disgusting. It had to be that horrible. You see, this is so important because, okay, let's face it. In this room, a lot of garbage has taken place in our lives, right? And we've done some awful things. What if I told you, hey, today at service, what we're going to do is uh, everyone, just in absolute honesty, we're going to come up one at a time and we're going to list the five worst things we did in our lifetime. Hey, pretty fun service, huh? Until it got to your turn. You know, but, but it, it just, it, it's just like, wow, are you kidding me? You know, we'd always say, you did that? You know, just, uh, you know, but just the sheer horror of, okay, let me try to think of the worst things I've done in the sight of God and just lay it out. I mean, it's, it's just disgusting. Now, the Bible says, so, so how, what are you going to do before God? How, how are you going to make up or atone? Atone means to, to cover that. See, a lot of people, so many, the majority of the world would say, you know what, I know, I know I've done some bad things, but I've made up for it, right? How do I make up? I started doing a bunch of good things. I give to charities. You know, I go to fundraisers. You know, I, I, I you know, help people across the street. Well, whatever. You know, I do so much volunteer work and this and that. And so at the end of my life, God knows that I've done some bad things, but He also knows I made up for it. I covered it over with my good deeds. And you guys, that may make you feel better about yourself, but the Bible says that there's no way your good deeds will cover up what you've done. He says the only thing that atones in God's sight, the only thing in His mind that will atone for what you've done is blood. Leviticus 17.11. From, from beginning to end, all the way through Scripture, He explains this blood sacrifice. That you know what? That's all that will atone for you. And so you may feel better that you've done some good things and great. But you're going to stand before God and He's going to say, you know what? I made it very clear. The only thing that will atone for you is blood. Do you think you're going to come before God Almighty and say, yeah, but I made up for... God hates sin so much. That was the picture He was showing in the temple with the slaughter every year to show how much He hated it and what needed to be paid. And then all of that was going to be paid by Jesus on the cross. And that's what you know Jesus explained to them that there's going to be a fulfillment to the Passover. And, uh, oh, it's so beautiful because when you look at verse 19, look what happens. It says that he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, during the Passover supper, he takes the unleavened bread that they're all thinking, they're all thinking unleavened bread means the exodus. It means a time when we have to remember when we left you know, Egypt and it was in a hurry. And, and, and Jesus takes the bread that night and says, listen, this bread now is my body. It's no longer to represent the unleavened bread. From, it's to represent my body. And I want you to do this in remembrance. Why does He want His disciples to do this? I want you to do this in remembrance. Remembrance not of Egypt, not of the Exodus. He goes, in remembrance of me and my body. Then he takes the cup and he says, this, this cup represents the new covenant. This is different now. It's not the blood of the Lamb. It's about the fulfillment of it all and it represents my blood now. He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And it's such a... 
ah, oh, it's such a beautiful scene because, you know, in verse 15, when he says that, uh, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, I eagerly, I have eagerly desired. And in fact, the literal word is, uh, with desire, I have desired to eat this with you. It was a Hebrew idiom just saying, just this total incredible, intense desire. He, he, he sits, basically, he's sitting down with his disciples and goes, you have no idea how much I've longed for this moment to have this meal with you guys. And I, I, for the first time, I just felt it this week. Because think about this. What if, what if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die? That you were going to be handed over and you were going to suffer. And you knew that was going to actually happen tonight. And then you're going to be dying tomorrow. And you were told you could have one last dinner with any group of people you choose. Who would you pick? Just think it through. Right now, tonight is the last supper you'd have here on this earth. Who would you want to share that with? You know, I, I tried to think that through and I, I thought, okay, if I had one last supper and tonight was it, who would I invite? And it was none of you. Um, I just thought, I would just, I, I would just have my family. I, I think if I, I just had one last night, I would just want my wife, my kids, maybe my brothers, sisters, mom, you know, and just... Say, guys, this is this is it for me, and I just want to tell you guys how much I care about you, how much I love you, but how much you know you've got to live this thing on. You've got to understand that it is all about Jesus, and it's all about eternity, and and my life is over now. And you've got to get this, and just how meaningful and how beautiful that time would be. Do you understand? This is Jesus, I mean, and feel that moment. He's coming before His disciples. These are the 12 guys that He spent the last three and a half years with. And, and, and 24-7, He's been with them. It's been a family. And He sits down with them and says, Oh, you guys, I'm going to suffer in a little bit, but I've been so looking forward just to this one last meal with you guys. It's one last meal. And He says, And I want you to always remember this. I want you to always remember Me. And so when he broke the bread, he says, you know what this should remind you of now? From here on out, this is my body. And, and I just try to think, what, what must have felt like when the disciples got together after his death and they celebrated and took the bread and said, oh, let's remember him. I mean, how intense, how intimate that must have been. Ah, oh, He said to remember his body, his blood. Because he knew that we were going to get so busy with life and there's going to be so many things we're rushing to that we can go through a whole week and not even think about Jesus. And he says, I want to give you something tangible to hold on to. And every time you break this bread, remember me. And that's why the early church says, well, we're going to devote ourselves to this because we don't ever want to forget. And they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper so they would always have at least that time to just get their minds back and go, you know what? All that matters is that our sins atoned for because of what Jesus did for us. Oh, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, touching scene. And, and, and it was all Jesus, do this, why? In remembrance. That's it. And, and honestly, I used to be... Okay, there's a lot of other churches that'll teach, okay, when you take of this bread, it's literally Jesus' flesh. 
And when you drink of the cup, it's literally his blood. And when it comes into you, it's going to turn into blood or it's going to turn into flesh. And, and there's some churches that you take it and then after a while they'll ring a bell. And they say, when that bell rings, it mysteriously is going to turn into the flesh and the blood of Jesus and it's going to give you this power. You guys, I used to be like, well, all right, if you want to believe that, fine. It's not in the Bible anywhere. But if you want to believe that, I don't have a problem with it. You guys... The more I study this, the more I really do have a problem with it now. Because it really takes away from the whole point of it. The point was not for you to get some mysterious power, some superstitious thing that happens to you. That's not the point, the emphasis of the Lord's Supper. Jesus wanted us to remember Him. And just remember that one sacrifice that's more important than anything else on the earth and just to take some time every day, every week, and just to remember... That's all that matters. Not for us to get some sort of superpower through. He never talks about that. He says, you do this in remembrance of me. It's a way to honor him. It's a way to remember him. Man, and to just dwell on how the most important thing, the culmination, the fulfillment of the Passover took place. And just to rejoice and go, God, I remember you. I will never forget that death on the cross rather than coming to it superstitiously and saying, you know what, I think this will do something for me. This will help me. No, I'm doing it out of obedience because I don't ever want to forget what my Lord and Savior did for me on the cross. Jesus says, that's why I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And, and with that, you know, with the, uh, with the whole intimacy of it all, I just want to point one last thing out. At this intimate, beautiful supper where Jesus is pouring his heart out to, this guy, to these guys, Judas was there. And I want to think about this for a second. Remember, Judas has just gone to the leaders and said, hey, I figured out a way to kill Jesus. Okay, this is Judas. Has just gone to leaders and I know how to betray him. See, if you do with all the crowds, the crowds are going to mob you and they're going to kill you because they love Jesus. But I figured out a way where we can arrest Jesus when no one else is around and the, the leaders are going, okay, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver for that. He goes, you know what? That's a good deal. I'll take the money. So he's got it all figured out how he's going to betray Jesus later on that night. Well, after he's made this deal with these leaders, he sneaks back in with the disciples like no big deal, nothing's going on. He comes to this intimate last supper with Jesus and Jesus starts off the night by washing their feet. And Jesus knew. It's not like he's like, oh, I didn't know he was the truth. He knew. And he got on his knees and he's washing Judas' feet. Think about Judas, what's going on in his mind right now. Is he's just saying, oh, thank you, Lord, knowing he's going to betray him in a few hours. Then to sit at this table, and I'm just picturing, maybe the disciples are weeping right now, not really getting it. And He's just thinking, this is my body. You remember this. Because the fulfillment of the Passover is coming. And for Judas, Judas took that bread. He took that cup. Man, just like those disciples did. And then as they're all in this you know, nice little dinner, Jesus makes a statement. He goes, hey, the one who's going to betray me is sitting here. Gosh, think about that moment. I mean, that's like you being at a dinner with those you're closest to, and everyone knows each other. It's just this intimate circle. And, and you're saying, you know what, I've been betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die tomorrow. And then you, you share with this intimate dinner, and then you say to them, hey, and the person that's betraying me is sitting with us. You'd look around like, that's impossible. 
That, that, that's impossible. This is the family. This is us. We're the disciples. But just like you would look at your own family members and your own closest friends that you invited to this dinner and everyone knew these are the, your closest circle. The disciples had no clue who it was. It's that they're questioning like, ah, it's probably John. No, maybe it's Peter. They're trying to figure it out. They don't get it. And all the while, Judas is sitting there. I mean, isn't that just sick that this guy would come back? I mean, it's one thing to betray him, but then to sneak back and take place in such an intimate dinner. It's like, you Ah, that's just so awful. So wicked, isn't it? Well, this is exactly what takes place in church every weekend. There are some of you who have betrayed Jesus all week long. You know who you are. You've done the exact things that God absolutely hates. You know it. And then you sneak into church on the weekend and you'll take of the bread, take of the cup. Oh, I'm a Christian like you guys. Meanwhile, you know what you're about to do when you leave this church. You know what you're about to do this week. It's not something you're struggling with and working through because we're all doing that. But it's something you've already decided in your mind. You're going to do the very things that Jesus hates this week. And yet you're going to come in here and pretend you're one of us? And you're going to take of the bread and take of the... It's the exact same thing. I'm not, I'm not talking about those who are here seeking and going, you know, I don't understand Christianity. I came to this church. I heard good things about it. I just want to check it out. Man, that's great. And what you do during the week is your business. I'm just so thrilled that you come here and, and you're trying to understand Christianity. The people I'm confronting are the people who already call themselves Christians. They're the Judases that say, oh no, I'm one of the boys. And I'll partake of this dinner. I'll take of this bread. I'll take of this cup. And, and in reality, you know, the rest of the week, you're not, you're not living for God. Not even close. And you're not intending to live for God this week. You know, Jesus makes an interesting statement to Judas in the book of John at the end of the Lord's Supper. After, you know, he dips the bread and Judas actually takes of it. Jesus looks at Judas and says, you know what? Whatever you need to do, what you need to do, go and do quickly. Just showing Judas, I know it's you. And what you need to do, just go and do it. And you know what? I say the same thing to you today. Some of you, you've got all sorts of sin that you're, you want to just partake in this week. And you know it's wrong. But you're going to do it anyways. And what I have to say to you is, you know what? Just go and do it. Just, 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 just get out of here and go and do it. That's what Jesus is saying to Judas. You know what? You're going to go betray. Just go betray me. Don't go sneaking back in here pretending you're one of the boys, you know, pretending you really care about this moment, letting me wash your feet, you know, you know, feeding you this dinner. Just go and sin. Go and do your deal. But don't bring your stuff in here. And that's the picture of the church. Man, I, it doesn't matter if this place is packed or not. It doesn't matter if we have four services. You, you think I care about that? You think the elders care about that? The whole idea is we want this to be real. And, and so if you're faking it and, and calling yourself a Christian, you come here on the weekend and you're one way and then you go and you live a different way the rest of the, the week, you know what? Just, just go. Whatever you need to do, go and do it. Is it money you're after? You're ripping people off and that's so important. You just do it. But don't come in here. Just, just, just go and go quickly. But don't go, don't you dare come in here, call yourself a Christian, take of this intimate bread and this cup because this is sacred. Don't be Judas. Don't be Judas. And, and you know, with that, I, I, I will say, you know, even this weekend, so many people came up and said, you know what? I've been Judas. And I don't want that. Because no one in their mind sets out and says, I know what I want to be. I want to be Judas. 
Your parents named me Judas. You know, it's just, it, it's just, no one thinks that way, right? Like, oh, that's the way I want to be, is a total fake, you know, and just, just fake my Christianity. It just kind of happens. You get caught up in something, and, you know, for Judas it was money. It was like, oh, it just kind of led to a little bit more, a little bit more, and now he's just going to betray Jesus. And so he's a full-on fake. No one wants that. And so even this weekend, so many people have come forward and said, you know what, you're right, that's what I was, and I, and I don't want that anymore, I want to be the real thing. Because I, I just think, what if, what if at that scene, after, after Jesus says to Judas, you know what, what do you need to do, just go and do it. He says, you know what, I can't. I'm not going to do it now. You know what, you just washed my feet. You just helped me partake. You helped me to understand what this cross is all about. You know what? I was going to do that. And I, the, the, the plan I had this week, I'm done with it. I'm stopping right now. I'm repenting. I'm one of the boys again. Man, what a beautiful story that would have been, huh? You know, but it wasn't. That's not what happened. He went and he did what he needed to do. And my prayer is not to just... I'm not trying to get rid of people. You know, I'm trying to purify the church. As an elder board, we want this place to honor God. You know, not to be big, not to be popular, not to be, you know, exciting. It's just we want it to be real. That's what Matt was saying, leading worship. It's like, let's make this real. And as we take of the bread and we take of the cup today, let's make this thing real where we come and we really remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Nothing else.